Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. I'm so glad that you are here today. And God's going to bless you really, really good. Now, before we jump into today's message, let's honor God with our finances. We're going to bring the tithe into the storehouse of the Lord. And let me read a scripture to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower. Let me just stop for a moment and say that if you have a heart to give, God will always give seed to the giver or seed to the sower. But if you eat all of your seed, then you can't sow it. So you must always use some for sowing. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. My friends, your seed is a photograph of your faith and the earth today continues to operate by the laws that are eternal, the laws of seed time and harvest. So the seed that you have been given can create the picture that you have been promised by God. And many of you, you carry those pictures within your heart of the thing that you're believing God to do. And some of you, you're a little smarter. You actually take that uh, internal picture and you put it uh, as a real picture on the, perhaps on the front of your refrigerator or perhaps on the dashboard of your car, or maybe in your secret place where you pray and spend time with God and you keep that picture before you. So the seed that you have been given can create the picture you've been promised. Now, let me put up on the screen just for a moment, something that I like a whole lot, and that would be cantaloupes. And here you're looking at a picture of cantaloupes on uh, the front of a seed package. So the picture is put on the package and you know, it inspires you because you think that's what I want. I want those cantaloupes. And that for me is something I really enjoy. Uh, but if you open up that little package, as many of you have done, whether it's tomatoes or watermelons or whatever it is, you open up that little package and guess what? There's no cantaloupe in there. You look inside and all there is, all there is are these tiny little bitty seeds. Wow. The seed is a picture of your harvest. That's what it is. The picture of course, is what inspires you to sow. You're sowing for a harvest. Yes. Now we sow out of love, love for God, love for God's kingdom works, but we also sow as any farmer would with a harvest in mind. So you can create with your seed, what you cannot buy with your limited money. Let me say that again before we bring the tithes into the storehouse of the Lord. And also as we're preparing our hearts for the special offering on October the 1st, which is the Feast of Tabernacles special offering. Let me say this. You can even create with your seed what you cannot buy with your limited money. You know, nothing's out of reach with a seed. It may be out of reach of your bank account and what you have in your savings, but a seed brings it into proximity. You know, years back I was sitting on the couch and over uh, a year period, uh, I had saved $7,000 in the ministry specifically towards the television 
uh, you know, plan that God had given to me. And so TV is cooking on the inside of me. And I had always done a lot of TV programs for other ministers, but you know, God put it on my heart to have my own TV program. And so I saved over a year of time, $7,000. And so one day I was sitting on the couch and I was contemplating the $7,000 and it was a little bit divinely frustrating. Why? Because television can be expensive. And I thought, well, Lord, I don't really have the amount that I need. I, I could maybe buy one camera. It would probably be a pretty, uh, pretty good camera, but it's not enough. And, uh, I, but I thought, well, maybe I could at least start. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's just not enough. And so as I sat there on the couch thinking about this dilemma of what to do with the $7,000, I heard a supernatural voice the Holy Spirit speak to me. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. If what you hold in your hand is not your harvest, then it's your seed. I heard that so clear. Uh, now I know oftentimes when an angel speaks, it will sound like it came from over your right shoulder. Uh, this, while it in some ways sounded like it was also behind me. It was like all around me. And I heard the Lord speak that or the Holy spirit. And it brought tremendous peace into my heart. And I told my wife, I said, Kelly, I know exactly what we're supposed to do with that $7,000. She said, what? I said, it's not enough. And the Lord spoke to me and said, it's not my harvest. It's my seed. Cause I, I could tell this is not my harvest. I, I it's not enough. I'm so far short. So I took that $7,000 and I sewed it into the ministry of a friend of mine who has a global, uh, uh, television Christian program going all over the world that I sewed it into his ministry and he prayed over it. And today, today our television outreach covers a satellite footprint where uh, potentially 3 billion people could watch it. Now I know that not everybody's watching at the same time, but there are a lot. And uh, we're in over 200 nations right now on television with a global footprint, particularly in one of the most heavily densely populated regions of the world right now with satellite just beaming down. And I'm on those satellites. We're in Israel broadcasting uh, three times a week. And I tell you what, God's moving all over the world. But if I would have eaten that seed or I would have misappropriated it, I could not be enjoying the, the breadth and scope of what God is doing in our television ministry today. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So, my friends, you can create with your seed what you cannot buy with your limited money. Woo, praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I want to encourage you to sow. Be faithful with your tithe. The tithe is 10% of all of your increase. It's 10% of what you earn. God uh, receives the 10th or the tithe, and it sanctifies the remaining 90%. And it does bring over your life a supernatural heavenly insurance policy. But the area of giving of offerings is really where you move into the area of destiny because you can sow a seed towards the harvest that you're believing God for. And nothing is out of reach with a seed 
And I want you to bring the tithe then now into the storehouse. And I want you to prepare your sacrificial gift that you would get it in either on October 1st, which is Sunday, or a few days before, and bring it into the storehouse of God, and sow your seed in faith, and watch what God will do concerning bringing your dreams, the dream that God has put on the inside of you, into a living reality. Praise God. Now, if you're going to mail in your tithe, and also your special Feast of Tabernacle offering, please send it to Stephen Brooks International. The address is P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the zip code 28654. Now, if you want to bring it in online, you can go to the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. And I say that because for some reason uh, with Google, it's like our website does not come up. And uh, we work with all types of SEO technology to keep it at the top, but it like, it just whoosh, disappears. It's not on the first page or second page. It's not anywhere. We keep putting it back up there, but it helps you if you type it in stephenbrooks.org. And there at the top of the website, there's a header that says give online and you can click that and it will take you to the landing page for your giving. There's a little drop down menu. Click that and you'll see the area where you can give for the 2023 Feast of Tabernacles special offering. And as you're sowing towards your dream, I want to say thank you for helping us to pay off the remaining balance that is on the field of dreams, the 14.5 acres where we're going to build our dream of the new television studio. And one day, if you want to, you'll be able to come and visit and uh, uh, even attend some of the live recordings, praise God. But thank you for sowing your very, very best seed. Now, Father, I pray for your people as they're bringing the tithe into the storehouse. I thank you for your umbrella of supernatural insurance of protection and blessing over them and their family. Father, we just give you all of the praise. I thank you, Father, that as people sow their dream seed, you're going to bring their dreams to pass. And I thank you, Father, it's going to really stagger those within their circle, those within their sphere of life. And they're going to say, how did you do it? And you're going to say through the timeless principles that God established in his word of seed time and harvest. Praise God. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower multiply the seed you have been, uh, the, the seed you have sown. Father, I thank you that you're going to multiply those seeds, you're going to multiply them and you're going to do, you're going to do miracles for them. Now, Father, we thank you. We give you all of the praise. I speak blessing over your people in Jesus name. We pray and we all say, amen. Woo. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for helping us to continue to move forward with the gospel, preaching it not only on YouTube and social media, but also through the great avenues of worldwide television. Praise God. Now, let's take our Bibles today and go to the book of Joshua. Let's drop back to Joshua chapter 3 and get ready for the Holy Spirit to move in your life today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, bringing illumination, bringing understanding to the eyes of our heart, so that we don't just hear a sermon, but it enters within our heart, and the seed of your word produces the 100-fold return 
of righteousness, peace, and joy, great joy. Now, Father, we give you all of the praise. We thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Let's all agree and say amen. Now, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And my friends, I want to always encourage you to the best of your ability to be an early riser. I understand if you had a... Uh, a trip and maybe you're jet lagged uh, that you can't always jump up at maybe four or five in the morning. But I would encourage you on a consistent basis with your normal way of living as much as possible. Be like Joshua. Be like the great men and women of the Bible who got up early. And by the way, we're only uh, now just a few days out from Rosh Hashanah, which is what? The Feast of Trumpets, which for some of you will be a celebration milestone of having completed over 77 days of uninterrupted early morning prayer. Those of you that are still on that uh, night school of the Spirit, let me hear from you. You're getting real close to the end. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. Today, I want to talk about the area of you getting your life ready, you getting your heart ready, you getting your mind prepared to go into some areas you have never been before. And God's going to take you there. And there are some preliminary things that we need to do to accommodate this upward movement of the Spirit. But I want you to know God's going to take you into various types of new territories. You have not passed this way before. Praise God. This is very, very important. Now, verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan... And the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. That's very prophetic, very symbolic. The city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, or what we would call the Dead Sea, failed or stopped and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And by the way, that's a lot of people crossing over the Jordan River. Now, this is a monumental day for 
the Jewish people, the Israelites, and they have waited for years and years for this moment. And so think for uh, uh, a few minutes about the excitement that they must be experiencing, knowing that all of that wandering in the wilderness, which was completely non-productive, all it was was taking up time until the generation of doubters, powders, unbelievers. Remember, the doubters and powders are the do-withouters. God waited for them to all die off. And, you know, God basically was dealing with the Israelites because they basically said, God, you, if we go into this land, you can't protect us. You know, the story of the 10 spies that gave the evil report wasn't just a bad report. It was an evil report. And they were basically saying, God, you can't take care of us. You, you can't watch over our children. We cannot go in there and take this land. And God said, well, if that's what you think about me, then um, you're the ones that are not going to go in and I'll actually take your children that you thought I couldn't take care of. I'll take them and they'll be the ones that go in into the promised land. So this is a enormous day for God's people to actually come to the point where they're now at the Jordan River and they're going to cross over the excitement. It must have been ecstatic. And also this is a day that God is also lifting up Joshua and it says, just as they previously feared Moses, they've really had a tremendous fear and respect for Joshua because the anointing was on him in a tremendous, tremendous way. So uh, this is a big moment. The priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. Something interesting to consider is how long did it actually take the people to walk across that dry river bed. Now, normally in the flood area of the Jordan river, that Jordan river could flood up to very easily a width of a half mile wide. It's overflowing all of its banks, Mount Hermon, the snows are melting and that water is raging down and it's completely overflowed all of its banks. So normally this would be like a half mile to get across the river in a boat if you could. So what if you're trying to move 2.6 up to 3 million people across an opening in that river? Because we know it's opened up. Okay, so what happens is God stops the water from flowing any further downward once the, the feet of the priest touch that water. And the water stops the water is backed up, backs up all the way 20 miles north to a small town called Adam. And now there is a path across and God supernaturally dries it out. Now, those who like to do numbers and tabulations and calculations have determined that if you had 100 men shoulder to shoulder walking across in a single file and you've got people lined up back behind them that if you take two and a half million people across, it would take four days to get all of the people over over. But when you read this, it, it appears that it happened all in one day. So that would tell me that you had a whole bunch of people crossing all at one time and God dried up a huge area from the Southern section where he stopped it downward. That was dry and a whole group of them, uh, maybe thousands, uh, uh, at a shoulder length at a time, just started walking over. Matter of fact, we know in chapter four and in verse 10, it said the people hurried and crossed over. 
I believe there's a lot of supernatural baked into that hurried. There's nobody dragging along real slow, just like when they crossed the Red Sea, which was epic. You know, they, they were walking through that with a hustle. I believe the same thing. There's nobody hobbling along. There's nobody with the cane. I mean, everybody's moving. And you got all of those people, several million people over what I believe would be actually in one day. And they cross over uh, to the other side. Now, while this is going on, you have the priest that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they're standing in the middle of that dry Jordan river bed. And they're standing there with all the people are crossing over. Have you ever stopped to think, I wonder how heavy the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, if you begin to research this, you'll find that there's different uh, summations of what it could be. Let me uh, share a little bit of behind the scenes secrets concerning the weight of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you just look at some of the writings, some people say, well, it couldn't be that heavy because some theologians, they've tackled this subject and they would say it could be that heavy because those four guys have to hold it and carry it. And if they're standing in that river bank uh, all day long, it couldn't be that heavy. So you've had some people come up with a number of 183 pounds. I don't believe that. I believe it was heavier. You have had some others that have crunched the numbers, uh, you know, concerning the, the cubits uh, and the dimensions of the ark, how much the shittim wood weighed, how much the gold weighed put over it. And others have said that they thought that it would be closer to 315 pounds. But the actual reality is that the ark with the mercy seat that was solid gold sitting on top of it probably weighed anywhere from 600 to 11 hundred pounds. Now this is why some theologians have a problem with it. They think that's impossible. Those four men would be exhausted. There's no way they can carry it. And even if you had other priests kind of like rotate in and take it, take it over. Wow. That's got to be extremely fatiguing to stand there, especially if you're maybe holding up uh, each person's holding up 250 pounds. Well, you do that for an hour and you're going to have a crick in the neck. But this is why in these type of areas of study, you have to go back to the old rabbinic teachings and it is recording in Jewish literature that anytime the priest carried the ark. And even in this case, when they, when they carried the ark and they would eventually set it down, whenever they would sit it down, the priest would have the most amazing revelation understanding of a new area if they had never carried it before. And it was, this is what they would all say. We did not carry the ark. The ark actually carried us. Now let that kind of like percolate into your spirit just for a moment. Stop and think about the men, the priest that carried the ark, their bodies, their heads are right next to the area where the Shekinah glory of God resided. They are right up next to that glory. And when that glory is rubbing against you, when it's beginning to ooze into you and over you, uh, you could carry that ark nonstop and you could probably go nonstop without eating nonstop without drinking. Why you're actually in that glory realm area 
And that's why when they would set the ark down and people would be like, how'd you, how'd y'all carry that? For, how'd you stand there so long holding that when it's so heavy? And they would always say, uh, yes, while we did carry it, we didn't really carry it. It was carrying us. My friends, serving Jesus is not a burden. It's a joy. There's a lifting in it. Oh, I've heard preachers before say that they were burned out of ministry. Uh, hold on. There, there can be like some fatigue associated with pouring yourself out. But this thing called burnout, that comes from being away from the presence of God. And uh, yeah, you need to get refreshed and get, get your walk back with God. And that's something that you can get back with a really good prayer session, a really good time with God. You don't have to run off and have a three-week or three-month sabbatical. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But stay close to the Lord because there is a, an energy, a quickening that comes from walking close to God, where it actually is a joy to serve the Lord in whatever capacity it is that you serve God, in whatever career field it is that you serve the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, those waters backed up 20 miles all the way to the town, small town of Adam. Now, if you were raised in Sunday school, like I was as a young boy, which was, you know, the Bible teaching class for the young children before you went to the main service, uh, you were often taught this story kind of like they just got across Jordan River and went into the promised land, and now let's get on with it. But my friends, this was a major, major miracle. That water backed up 20 miles, and as it backed up, it actually began to form a lake. It backed up. 20 miles, it backed up two miles wide, and it began to stack up over 120 feet. I've actually heard the certain rabbis say that those that have recorded this epic event say it was up 130 feet, this huge pile of water, and it's just backing up and backing up. Guess, guess who's also seeing this? Those over in Jericho. They're, because they have a high plateau, and they, they can look down into this uh, Jordan Valley, and they're like, oh my goodness, are we seeing what we're, think we're seeing? The water's actually backing up, and they're coming across. <laughs> yeah, they saw it. And there were others that probably didn't have such good eyesight, but they heard the report of what had happened, that this mighty God, the same God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt, He's back on the scene, and he has just done a very similar miracle, and now has brought them into the land of Canaan, and all of the hearts of the pagan kings fainted. They're like, oh, 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 and they knew they were in trouble. And you know what? They were. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But this, again, was a great, great miracle, a great victory for God's people. And you're coming, my friends, into a new season of your life. You haven't gone this way before, and God wants to expose you to His greatness, to His power, and you're going to begin to experience greater manifestations of God's glory in your life. Praise the Lord. Now, Joshua chapter 5, let's turn over there. Joshua chapter 5, and Let's begin in verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites, 
who were by the sea, that would be the Mediterranean Sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, God is going to restore a much greater level of dignity and honor to the church in the sense where when the wicked would try to touch the church, there will be, if they cross a certain line, there will, al there will always be certain persecutions, but if the enemy crosses a certain line, there will be repercussions. And that, that would be works that are wrought by God himself in defense of the church. Praise God. Now, we know that while these pagan kings, they're in a place now of fear, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to go to war. That doesn't mean that they're not going to resist. That doesn't mean that they're going to say, well, that was a great miracle, and we saw it ourselves, and we heard about it, read about it on the front page of the newspaper, and, uh, you know, just come on in and take over. We'll just go leave and move somewhere else. No, they're going to stand there. Their knees may be shaking together, but they're going to fight. So, my friends, you're crossing over into the Canaan land, into the area where you can now possess your promises, and now things begin to get very, very interesting. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself. Now let me stop just for a moment. The human spirit can be trained. One of the number one ways to train the whole, the, excuse me, the human spirit is to instantly obey the Word of God. God speaks to you and gives you a directive. He means business. You need to obey. When you come across something in the Word of God and you realize, oh, I'm not doing that, you need to obey. You need to train your human spirit to obey. You know, you can train your mind. And if you train your mind, you can develop your mind to a great great degree. You could even master a subject because maybe you've read about it and you studied it and you've researched it. You could become an expert in your field. And thus your mind in that area is highly, highly developed. And you know what? You can train also the physical body throughout the history of the world. As far as we know, there have only been six men that have lifted three times their body weight over their head. In other words, if a man weighed 150 pounds, uh, that meant that he was able to lift 450 pounds over his head, which is uh, quite amazing. That's, that's pretty rare. Now, of course, while you can train the body and you can develop it, if you train the mind, you're going to end up doing better. Why? Wisdom is better than strength. So the person that's developed his mind would probably say, hey, that's great that you can lift that. I don't need to do that. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to rent a forklift and I'm going to let the machine do the heavy lifting and I'm going to save my back all of the pain. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, physical fitness is good, but, and there's some profit in it, but you want to lean towards developing your mind through the washing of the water of the word, but primarily also get into this area of training, developing the human spirit. 
Woo! Praise the Lord. You develop it by feeding, meditating on the Word of God, but you also develop it by any time God gives you an instruction, any time God speaks to you, that you don't sit around, that you do like Joshua, and when God says, make flint knives, you're out like, okay, well, never really done this before, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it right now, and we're going to make some real sharp ones, and that's what he did. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Now, why in the world would this hill be called the hill of the foreskins? Because that number, remember, you've got a lot of men and all of these young men, they have never been circumcised before. All of their parents passed away and died out in the wilderness. So these, uh, this new generation, all these men, they're going to get circumcised for the first time. And you've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men. And there were so many foreskins that were cut that it actually created a small hill. Wow. <laughs> Oh, praise the Lord. A lot of blood going on and a lot of men needing to take a few days off and heal up from that. So verse four, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So my friends, God was instructing Joshua to get them circumcised to keep the covenant. Praise the Lord. Now let's go to verse eight. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now, we see that Gilgal is a very significant place. You know, it's interesting that God chose to have this circumcision done here on this side of the Jordan. You know what? That actually made them in many ways, very vulnerable. But let me say this, your obedience is actually what creates your security. It's disobedience that makes you vulnerable to the things that the enemy would love to do if he could get through the wall of defense. So although they were in enemy territory, and in a sense, they're going to be sore and they can't fight. That's when God says, well, trust me, but do what I tell you to do, and I'll protect you and be a shield round about you. There's always security in obeying God. Praise the Lord. And so they are circumcised at Gilgal. Again, verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And my friends, Gilgal actually means roll away. Gilgal represents the place of sanctification and fellowship with God. Sanctification, excuse me, sanctification, where you cut off the works of the flesh. Hang with me. This is going to get very, 
very interesting. Praise the Lord. We're in a very timely season right now. The crossing of the Jordan represents the crucified life. The waters of the Jordan were backed up to the city of Adam, 20 miles north. Adam represents our old sinful nature. Mm -mm. After they left Egypt, the Israelites, in a sense, now are physically out of Egypt. But here's the problem. Egypt was never out of them. Mm. But after crossing the Jordan, it's a brand new day. Things have now changed and they're going to be going into some things that are brand new. They're going to be conquering. They're going to be possessing. And I tell you what, my friends, it's a new day. That same excitement that they felt. God wants you to feel that fresh wind of the spirit blowing in your life. I'm telling you, it is a new day for you. It is a new day in the body of Christ. We are in a new season. Praise the Lord. Now, crossing the Red Sea was a type, a shadow, or a representation of water baptism. But here's something very interesting that you need to understand. Water baptism is the judicial act of putting off the body of sin. But the experiential fulfillment of knowing that you put off the body of sin this comes when you cross the Jordan River. Mm -mm. Crossing the Jordan symbolizes how God breaks the power of sin in your life. And thus, you can look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6, which Paul wrote, and you can say, I can identify with that. Let's take a look at it just for a moment. Romans 6, verse 6. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Paul said, knowing this, and that word knowing in the Greek is very important. That word is the word nosko, and it means knowledge that only comes by personal experience. It's not hid knowledge. It's not claiming it because somebody else said they had it, and we're going to say that we have it too, so maybe we can be popular and fit in. No, it means that you had your own personal encounter with God in this area, and this is now an experience that you're walking in. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified or put to death with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Hallelujah. No longer a slave, no longer giving in because you're overpowered, no longer giving in because maybe of all of the inherent weaknesses and whatever, and we justify that, and thus we yield. No, there is now victory over sin. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. Crossing the Jordan symbolizes how God breaks the power of sin. Crossing the Jordan represents being dead to sin, and Gilgal represents the circumcision of your heart, the flesh 
of your heart, the, that longing to maybe still want to taste the leeks and onions of Egypt. You understand I'm not talking about the leeks and onions at the grocery store. I'm talking about the leeks and onions, the pleasant things, the delightful things of Egypt. You have no more interest in Egypt. You never, ever want to go back again. Mm -mm. With victory over the old man, you are now enabled for the first time to go up against the enemies that are hanging out in the land of your inheritance. And that's why there has to be the Gilgal moment where the circumcision takes place and that flint knife does its job quick and efficient and the flesh nature is dealt with. And what does it mean? It means you're ready now to go in there and take down some giants. Woo! Praise the Lord. And that's what they did. They went into an impregnable defense of Jericho. They went into a city that would seem an impossibility to conquer, and they took the whole thing. Now, we know that they had a blunder at Ai. Why? Somebody got back in the flesh again. Somebody pulled them all down. But my friends, as for you and I, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let that be a mantra. Let that be a mandate. Let that be a theme for your life. Because when that is established, you can go take your land. It doesn't matter how big and ugly the giants are. You can go up there. But this has to be spiritual knowledge that you gain out of having your own Gilgal moment. Mm -mm. Wow. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to share something that's a very thoughtful statement. Let me get a drink of hot tea. I think I need to get ready for this one with a little hot tea. Excuse me just a second. Now think about this very clearly. The Corinthian church was born again, was water baptized, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Corinthian church moved in all nine gifts of the Spirit. They were taught, mentored by Paul, and still Paul said, you are carnal. Now I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere. Take a look at this. First Corinthians chapter three. I want you to see it. I want you to see it. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. First mm -mm. Corinthians three, verse one. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. But Pastor Stephen, they spoke in tongues. Yes, and they were still carnal. Pastor Stephen, there were miracles happening in that church, and almost all of them could prophesy. Yes, and they were still carnal. Mmm. I fed you with milk, and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able for you are still carnal for where there are envy, strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men in some ways behaving not even very differently from some of those that would even be outside of the church, but yet they were saved. See, they were even filled with the Holy spirit spoke in tongues. But my friends, the truth is, is they needed to have their own personal experience at the Jordan River 
where they go across and they have their Gilgal moment and they meet the sharp flint knife. Woo, praise God. The Israelites could not inherit the promised land and partake of the promises of Abraham unless, unless they were all circumcised. So for us to enter into the inheritance for our lives, we must experience spiritual circumcision. It's not enough just to be saved. It's not enough just to be saved. I've had a charismatic experience. Would you like for me to pray for you? That's all good. That's all good. But there must be that cutting off of that flesh nature where you're done with Egypt and you don't want to go back there anymore. Praise the Lord. Once that's established, then that can be maintained in your walk with the Lord. Now let's go to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. And look at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. He has become a servant, or He has become a minister to the circumcision for the truth of God. My friends, even still today, did you know that the Lord desires to circumcise our hearts? That old nasty tongue that can go wild at times and uh, almost can compete with a sinner. Mm -mm. Or maybe some unchecked uh, anger that would flare up on the freeway or, uh, or something along that line. God wants these things dealt with. The Lord desires to circumcise our hearts so that we can inherit the promises that have been made to us, just like they could inherit the promises made to their fathers. Mm. You know, the Jordan River experience is very interesting. It's something that you have to allow God to take you to, and the Holy Spirit will work with you, and He'll see your hunger, and He'll see your desire to want to change, and He'll see your desire to really accomplish what you've called him to do, what he has called you to do. And if you're real sincere about that, you know what? The Lord will take you to that place. You can't really get yourself there. You really need God to take you there. It, it happens by divine setup, but I'm praying for you that you have your own personal Jordan river crossing experience. And then you meet the sword of the Lord, the sword of circumcision. Praise God. It's different from salvation. Salvation was typified through the Red Sea crossing, going down into the deep depths of the sea, representing uh, burial and death and coming up on the other side, free from Egypt, a type of the world system, free from Pharaoh, a type of Satan, and then moving into the, the newness of a new life. Praise God. Glory to God. But Gilgal is what in many ways the old timers called sanctification, where you are completely surrendered to the Lord and you know it when you hit it, you know it when you have that moment, praise God. And I'm not asking you to seek for something supernatural, but I am saying that God can give you an experience where you have real knowledge in this area. And like the apostle Paul, you can say this from the heart and mean it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
And Paul could say this, I have been crucified. In other words, I have been put to death with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What is that? I have been crucified with Christ. I have gone through that experience where that old flesh nature has been cut off, and I'm just wanting to serve God and please God. In whatever capacity, whatever field He has for me, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands and say, Lord Jesus, bring me to my Jordan River crossing moment. You have to, or else you can't take the giants down. Lift your hands, say, Lord Jesus, take me to my Jordan River crossing moment. Take me to the flint knife of Gilgal. And Lord, do your job. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Now look, my friends, this is a prophetic message. We're only a few days away from Rosh Hashanah. Oh, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, Pastor Stephen, but it's on the day of hope. It's on the day of atonement where the scrolls of destiny are sealed for the believers, for the followers of God. Uh, not, not really. It actually happens on Rosh Hashanah. And that's just a couple of days away. You need to get serious with the Lord and say, Lord, I want my scroll of destiny sealed on this day. So I step into the greatest year I've ever had of my life. And Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the Jewish new year. Praise the Lord. And here's the catch. The rabbis have always taught that on Rosh Hashanah, the scrolls of destiny for the year are set on Rosh Hashanah for those who are serious about their commitment to serve the Lord. Now you have others who kind of flounder along and they go through the 10 days of awe and they're trying to work stuff out. And they just, they just kind of want to be blessed and want things to go well for them. Okay. Some of them get sealed on the day of atonement, but the ones that are really, you know, just like God, take the flint knife and do your thing. <laughs> do the thing of Gilgal and let it be rolled away. You'll get it in just a few days. Praise God. Praise the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. There are angels being released right now to come and minister the sword of circumcision. One more time, lift up your hands, Father. I pray for your people that are watching right now that they have the Gilgal moment. I just thank you, Lord God. I thank you that they must be circumcised in order to take down the giants to possess the land. I thank you, Father. There cannot be areas of defilement. There cannot be chambers of the heart and chambers of the soul where you're not allowed in. And there's some yucky stuff in there. Lord, there has to be a dealing with that. And we thank you that that's what the Jordan River is for. Now, I thank you, Father. Let your people experience the fresh winds blowing. This is a new season. They're about to go away. They have never passed before. And they're about to taste the sweetest taste of victory. Now, Father, let your grace flow. Let your mercy flow. Bring them to the Jordan. And I thank you, Father God. You're going to meet them in Gilgal. Now, Father, we give all of the praise to you. For you're the one that brings us there. And you are the one. Jesus, you are still the one that is the minister of circumcision. 
We give you all of the praise. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Say, Amen. Woo, praise God. Praise God. Now, if you're watching today, and maybe you're not even sure why you're watching. Maybe you were just intrigued by the message title, or, or maybe you were just checking it out. God's dealing with your heart right now. You need to surrender your life to the Lord and jump into God's plan for your life. And if you used to be a Christian, but you fell away and you got back into Egypt and now you've gotten all dirty. Okay. Come back to God. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than any sin. It's more powerful than uh, any stain that you could have gotten into your body or your soul or your spirit. Jesus will clean you completely. Come back right now. Let us all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life fully to you today. Jesus, we know that Joshua's name was Yahushua. That's basically your name. He was a symbol of who you are, the great general of the faith. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross to take my sins away. I put my life and trust in your hands now. Lord Jesus, save me. Wash all of my sin away with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And step into my life today and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Welcome to the family of God, the mighty army of God. Praise the Lord. Now let's take Holy Communion together. If you are a believer, you can take communion with us. Praise the Lord. Grab some grape juice. Hallelujah. And you don't need a fancy cup from Bethlehem or the Temple Institute, actually in Jerusalem where I got this one. You can use a little paper cup or a plastic cup and grab some unleavened bread. And you don't need one of these little wafers. Just get a cracker. Get whatever you have. And let's take Holy Communion together. Now, Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. Through this prayer, we bless it and sanctify it and set it apart as being holy. This is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the Lord's flesh, we thank you that you have a system. You have a method for victory. You have protocol that we must go through. And Lord, we thank you that we must cross Jordan and we must stop in Gilgal. Oh God, we give you all of the praise for our Gilgal moment. We thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you do this work in our lives so that we can receive every beautiful thing that you've planned for us to come into. I thank you, Father, this is the time for the manifestation of dreams, for the fulfillment of godly visions. This is the time for miracles. And Father, we thank you, and we now receive the Lord's body in his name. Together, let's receive. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Father, thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that washes all sin away. Thank you, Father God, that we can be clean inside, outside, our bodies, our minds, our spirits. We thank you, Father God, that you are moving to consecrate and sanctify your people in this hour because it is essential. It's not optional. 
is essential for us possessing the land. Thank you, Father God, empower us through the mighty blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, through the blood, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit's moving. The Holy Spirit's moving right now. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Now, during the fall feast, there's heavy, heavy angelic activity. And we could never make something happen. You can't fabricate something. But there will be those that have angelic type experiences and encounters that are very genuine and real from the Lord. Receive those. Praise God. And let God's angels minister to you. You may see them, you may not, but sometimes you just sense something's going on, something divine, something holy and good. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus doesn't always have to do everything himself. He's the, he is the great commander. The angels work underneath him. So many times they are sent to carry out his instructions and his commands. And so there's going to be a lot of circumcising taking place. Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Glory to God. Some of you, God's going to take it out of you. And you know what I'm talking about. You and the Lord know what I'm talking about. He's going to take that thing that has tormented you all of your life out of you. He's going to cut it off at, at your own Gilgal encounter. Mm -mm. Praise God. Praise God. The mercy of God is flowing. The mercy of God over every mistake you've ever made. The mercy of God over every wrong turn you've ever made. The mercy of God over your life so that you still, by His mercy, accomplish all that He's called you to do. And you're going to get it done. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, the Holy Spirit's really moving. And I'm going to leave you to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to minister to you. Get ready for your Gilgal Jordan moment. Praise the Lord. Now, for those that are watching from the UK, I will be in England, London, England, September 22, or actually 24 to the uh, 26. And uh, those dates are on our website, and we're uh, posting that. And so if you want to come out to London, jump into those meetings. We're going to have a really good time together. I, I want to encourage you to attend those meetings. We also have the Israel tour up on the website. If you want to go with us in late April, early May of 2024, it is going to be fantastic. Woo, praise God. I'll take you to the Jordan River. We'll go there. And if you want to get water baptized in the Jordan, we'll take you to the very spot where John the Baptist immersed Jesus. And guess what? It's the exact same spot where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. And there was a, there was a reason why John was baptizing down there, and there was a reason why Jesus went down there. It was very symbolic, because it's the exact same place. Praise the Lord. So if you want to go on tour, get signed up. Thank you, Jesus. Now, please continue to be in prayer. And seek the Lord and sow your best concerning the Feast of Tabernacles special offering. Sunday, October 1st, we are trusting God to be able to pay off all of the remaining debt on the field of dreams and believe with us, pray with us, and do what the Holy Spirit instructs you to do. Father, bless your people. I thank you that we are coming into the fall feast 
and your spirit is moving, they're about to go away. They've never passed before. Get them ready. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time.